Praise the Lord. Thank you, brother. I truly enjoy Wednesday nights. Um, I love all of our services here at Mount Zion. So thankful for the opportunity to worship the Lord anytime we can. Um, but Wednesday nights are truly special for me because right in the middle of the week, it seems as though when we need it most, um, the Lord allows us to come together and, and uh, experience His presence with His people in His place. And man, that's refreshing to me. And uh, I want to thank you all for being here tonight. And we've experienced some of that times of refreshing during that worship service. Thank you, brother. Uh, what a blessing that song was to my heart. Bless my soul tonight. Take your Bibles, if you will, please. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 9. We're starting a brand new chapter in the Word of God this evening. I'm excited about it. Hope and pray that you are as well. Um, the book of Romans has been um, so good so, so far, you know, that we, we've seen just the, uh, the, the weight of Scripture in the book of Romans that's really spoke to my heart. Hope and pray that it has spoken to your heart as well. And I can't wait to see what the rest of the book of Romans has for us. Um, Romans chapter 9, we're going to be looking tonight at the first three verses in just a moment. Before we look at that, before we, uh, we get into God's Word, I just want to ask you a few questions. And I want your honest opinion. I really struggle with doing this because sometimes this can uh, cause arguments like none other. But I, I really do want what you honestly think. So... When I ask you these questions, I'm going to uh, ask you to please just, whatever comes to your mind first, be willing to share that with me. Who do you believe to be the greatest basketball player to ever pick up a basketball? Anybody? Wait, Michael Jordan? Anybody else? Jordan for you two? Any others? Looks like that is pretty much the consensus. Ah, that's who I believe. Uh, to be the greatest basketball player to ever live as well, Michael Jordan. Let me give you some achievements that Jordan had during his career in the NBA. He's a six-time six NBA champion with the uh, Chicago Bulls. He's a five-time NBA League MVP. He's six-time NBA Finals MVP and ten-time scoring leader. He's also the two-time um, um, dunk champion of, of the uh, National Basketball Association. Michael Jordan did it all. He was also the two-time defensive player of the year. Uh, he pretty much changed the game of basketball forever when he stepped on the court. Man, I don't think there's anybody that comes even close to comparing to Michael Jordan when it comes to basketball. Let's, let's go a different route now. It's kind of hard to say who's the best football player. You kind of got to do those by position. So tonight... Um, I've picked the position that everybody seems to know a little bit about, the position of quarterback. When I'm talking about the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of football, who is it for you? Anybody? What you got, brother? Peyton Manning? Peyton Manning. Joe, Joe Namath? Anybody else? What you got, brother? Drew Brees? Drew Brees. Lamar Jackson? All right. Anybody else? Go ahead, buddy. I knew that was coming. I knew he was going to say, that's my son. I knew he was going to say Tom Brady. Now, but none, none of those questions are necessarily wrong because I think when you uh, are in the company of those great quarterbacks that uh, it's kind of a toss-up in many, in many instances. But let me give you my favorite quarterback, Joe Montana. Joe Montana was the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers throughout the 80s into the early 90s. And in my opinion, nobody could spin that football like Joe Montana. You, if you don't believe me, uh, you young bucks, go back tonight and look up some YouTube videos of Joe Montana throwing to Jerry Rice, and John Taylor, and uh, Dwight Clark. 
His running backs were Roger Craig, and he had a fullback by the name of Tom Rathman, who was always my idol. I love Tom Rathman, man. You're talking about one of the toughest dudes to ever put on a football helmet was Tom Rathman, number 44 for the uh, the uh, 49ers. So I, I believe it to be Montana. And I know that what my son is thinking right now, that um, Montana only had four Super Bowl rings and Tom Brady's got more than that. How many has he got? Six, is that right? I think Brady's got six, and he's right. Uh, he's a three-time, but Montana is a three-time Super Bowl MVP. He's an eight-time Pro Bowl selection, two-time MVP of the league, and just an all-around cool cat. He's actually, his nickname was, was Cool Joe, and he was, man. He was the comeback kid. If you gave him the football with two minutes left to go, he was going to score if you needed to score. He was awesome. So I love Joe Montana. Let me ask you this. Who's the greatest boxer of all time? Anybody? Now, that's kind of hard to pick. Um, the, the hardest puncher that's, uh, by the, uh, that's been named by most boxers that he fought was said to be George Foreman. Everybody says that George Foreman hit harder than anybody. The toughest boxer that I've ever seen in the ring myself, just from the old videos I've watched, was Joe Frazier. When you see what Joe Frazier went through during the Ali fights and kept coming, I don't think there's a tougher human being on the planet than Joe Frazier was at that time. So the toughest has got to be Joe Frazier. The hardest puncher probably is George Foreman. If everybody who fought him says that's the hardest they've ever been hit, but when it comes to all-around boxing skills, I'm talking about movement, I'm talking about speed, I'm talking about power, and I'm talking about their opponent fearing them uh, the most, it's got to be Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, in my opinion, is the greatest boxer that I ever saw lace up some gloves. I mean, that dude right there was scary, still is scary. He's in his mid-50s, and I watched a video of, video of him last week training, and that dude still moves like he's in his uh, early 20s. It's amazing to watch him do what he does. And so, and I, I'm a big fight fan. I love boxing, love, love fighting. And so uh, I like Mike Tyson. Let me, let's go a different route now. Who is the greatest missionary to ever be on the mission field? I got to go with the Apostle Paul. No doubt about it. I think the Apostle Paul was the greatest missionary to ever be on the mission field. Let me tell you why I say that. The Apostle Paul in his day um, went on three missionary journeys all over the known world at that time. And he didn't have automobiles, and, and he didn't have planes to fly in. Um, he had to get there the best way he could. Most of the time, by walking, um, he, he went on his missionary journey. And, and uh, the Apostle Paul started churches all over the known world. I mean, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was going and preaching the gospel. God was touching people's hearts. They were believing in the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so they, and Paul started churches everywhere he was going because these groups of believers would then get together and start serving Christ. Amen? And that's what a church is, a group of believers that come together and follow Jesus. And so that's what Paul was doing everywhere he went as he went on these three missionary journeys. Now, the cool thing about Paul, he just didn't leave those new converts to themselves. When he got back to wherever he was going, back to home base, or even sometimes in a prison cell, he would write letters back to these church groups that he had started the, during his missionary journeys. And so we got 13 books in the New Testament that are letters of Paul, either to churches that he had started by the power of the Holy Spirit or, or to individual believers. And so 13 books in the New Testament is the writing of the Apostle Paul. Now I know all of it was Holy Spirit inspired, but I'm just saying 
I don't know that there has ever been anybody that's been used anymore for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and to make an impact for the kingdom of God than the Apostle Paul. I think he is the greatest missionary to ever be on the mission field. But let me tell you what I believe about all of these great people that we've mentioned, whether it be uh, Michael Jordan or Joe Montana or, uh, or, uh, or, or, or Mike Tyson or the Apostle Paul. They are all great in whatever field they're great in because, listen, they are motivated to be great. Would you agree with that? I can promise you this. Motivation is key. If you're going to achieve something great, you've got to be motivated. There's no doubt about that in whatever area you're talking about. And listen, tonight right here in Romans chapter 9, these first three verses, we see the motivation of the Apostle Paul, the motivation of a soul winner. And I want, what my prayer is for me and for you and for Mount Zion Baptist Church and all those that are listening to us tonight, my hope and my prayer is that the same thing that motivated the Apostle Paul would become our motivation to go out and be a soul winner just like he was, to go out into our mission field wherever that might be, whether it's at your home. How many of you know that is your first mission field? Can you say amen to that? I don't want to preach the gospel and live for Jesus everywhere else and not do it at home. If I've done that, then I failed as a missionary. How many of you know sometimes your mission field is your workplace? Do you know that? Wherever you work. Sometimes your mission field can be the grocery store. Sometimes your mission field can be the ball game. Your mission field as a believer is wherever lost people people are. And I'm going to tell you, when you uh, get in this world, wherever that may be, you're going to find lost people. And so you have, as a believer, an opportunity and a responsibility to preach the gospel of Jesus with your lips and with your lives. And so I want to be motivated like the greatest soul winner uh, that I believe the world's ever seen, the greatest missionary to ever be on the mission field. I want to see what motivated him so that it might then motivate me and motivate us to go out and be soul winners ourselves. So let's look at this tonight in these first three verses. Um, the first thing that I want you to see in Romans 9, verse number 1, is that Paul had a concern, a concern that came from his conscience. Now listen to what the Bible says in, in the first verse here. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And so Paul says, I've got this great concern for my kinsmen, for my people, for the Jewish people, that they might come to, a, to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, that they might be born again. And he said, when I'm telling you I've got this concern, I'm not lying. My conscience bears witness of this. Amen? My conscience bears witness of this. So he says, my motivation, first and foremost, is, is the concern I have for others to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And I'm not just saying I have a concern for the lost. My conscience knows I'm telling my truth. That is my motivation. I know what some of you may be thinking tonight. Brothers, I just don't know. I, I don't know that I'm ready to be a soul winner. I don't know that I'm ready to go out and preach the gospel. I don't know that I'm ready to tell others about Jesus. There's still a lot I don't know. Join the crowd. Listen, there's still a lot I don't know. And, and as long as we're um, on this earth, there's going to be a lot that we don't know because we come to the end of ourselves very quickly. 
Now, we can grow and we should grow and we want to grow, but I'm just saying you're never going to get to the place where you've got all the questions in your mind figured out or all the questions that someone else may have. You're never going to get to the place where you've got those all figured out either. You, you may tell you why, because we're not God. We have finite understanding, and we're trying to understand infinite truths from an infinite God. And so there's going to be a lot of things that we're never going to understand. Don't wait till you've got it all figured out to start doing what God has called you to do. You need to be motivated. I need to be motivated just like the Apostle Paul, even though, even though you know it is a daunting task to go out and share your faith. And it is. I heard a story one time about a hunter out in the woods. And he's walking down this game trail, searching out for, for deer he was about to shoot. And he, he walks around the curve there in the trail. And standing about 15, 20 yards from him was this big grizzly bear. And the grizzly bear turned and saw the hunter with his gun standing in the trail. And he let out a big growl and roared. And man, he takes off after the hunter. And the hunter's running just as fast as he can possibly run. And the, no matter how hard he ran, the grizzly bear was still gaining on him. And he thought, man, I'm not, never going to make it. I can't outrun him. He's doing all he could do. And then he looked up ahead of him there in the, in the trail, and he saw that there was a tree branch about 15 feet um, from the forest floor. And so he thought, maybe if I could run and jump with all I, I've got, maybe I could get, grab a hold of that branch and swing myself to safety. But then he realized, that's, a, that's 15 foot tall. There, not even Michael Jordan uh, could, could reach that. And so he, he keeps running, and the closer he gets, he said, man, I might as well try. If I don't, he's going to get me. And so he jumps with all he can jump, with all the might he can muster. And he missed the tree branch, but guess what? He caught it on his way back down. <laughs> Listen to me, folks. Get a hold of this. You need to understand something. We need to be motivated, and the reason we need to be motivated to go out and be a soul winner is that lost and dying people are on their way to a devil's hell. There's someone after them. Can you say amen? And if we don't tell them, the message that has changed our lives, they have no hope. The only hope a person has who don't trust in Jesus is hell. That's it. And so we need to get concerned for lost people. Paul said, I'm concerned. I'm not just saying I'm concerned. My conscience bears witness of the fact that I'm concerned. So let me ask you something. If, I, if we were around the room tonight and I ask you individually, are you concerned for lost people? I mean, are you concerned for people across the street? Are you concerned for people around the world? Because the Bible says we should be. Whoever ha has not trusted in Jesus, we ought to be concerned for that soul because that's someone Jesus died for. Amen. So are you concerned for the lost? Are you concerned for the, for the guy at your workplace or the girl at your workplace? Are you concerned for your lost friends? Are you concerned, really concerned for the lady at the grocery store? For the people rioting in the streets, are you concerned for them? Because you know they need Jesus too. Just last week, man, the Lord broke my heart 
in my front yard. Has that ever happened to you? God uses things just to really get next to you. I, I call them the, those two-before moments. It's like when God takes a two-before and hits you right between the eyes with it, lets you know what you need to be doing. Yeah, that ever happened for you? Because it happens for me a lot, I'll be honest. I'm out in the yard uh, washing my car. I, I bought a car, not a new car, but a car that's new to me a few weeks ago. And it's something. It's a car that I've always wanted. I've, I've been looking for one for years and uh, God blessed me with it. Got a great deal in it by a dear brother in Christ that, uh, that knew I really, really wanted it and he, he helped me out. And I'm so thankful that, that for that blessing. And so for the last two weeks since I've had it, I've washed it five times and waxed it three times. I mean, I've been rubbing the paint off this car. Matter of fact, my daughter came out the other day and she said, Dad, are you washing the car again? And I said, yes, I love it, man. I can't get enough of it. I'm enjoying it. And so I'm out there washing the car last Saturday. Gage walks outside. And he, he looks at me and he says, Dad, let me ask you something. He said, all this stuff that's going on in the world today, I mean, the, the earthquakes and the, the, the stuff we're seeing on TV with the riots, and he said, the, the pandemic, the sickness that's going around, he said, what do you think about that? Do you think that might mean that um, the end of time is coming? And I said, wow, yeah, hey, son, I'll tell you, man, that's a great question. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think a lot of the things that we're seeing right now certainly are signs of the times. And he said, well, you mean signs of the times? I said, well, the Bible gives us some signs to look for so that we'll know when Jesus is close in coming. And so uh, I said, he said, well, where's that at, Dad? Where do you find those? And I said, it was in Matthew 24. He says, all right. So he walks inside. And I'm pretty sure he went in and checked out Matthew 24. So he, he comes back outside in a little while. And he walks back up to me. I'm still rubbing on this car. And, and he says, Dad, from what I'm seeing, you're right. There's a lot of stuff that I see in Matthew 24 that's actually happening right now. And he says, that must mean it's close to the coming of Jesus. I said, son, I agree with you. I think that's exactly right. And he looked at me. Serious look. I mean, serious face. He said, Dad, that scares me to death. I said, what do you mean, buddy? He said, that scares me to death for my friends who I know don't know Jesus. And he started naming off friends and family members who he knew had never trusted in Christ. So I got to thinking about that. Like I said, that two before moment. Here I am out here washing a stupid car. All I'm thinking about is this car. And, and here my son is heartbroken over friends that are on their way to hell, over family members that are on their way to hell. And I just say, Lord, forgive me. I am much more concerned about this car than I have been about lost souls. See, sometimes we can say we're concerned. But Paul says, I'm not lying about it. I feel like sometimes because we know what we should say, we know what we're supposed to do, we say we're concerned. But our actions say otherwise, or at least mine do from time to time. 
There was once a, an evangelist who came to a church to do a revival meeting. And they were having an evangelistic crusade one night of the revival. And so he was asking all of the people that were present in the church to bring someone with them because he was going to be preaching on the gospel and sharing about Jesus. And he was asking them to pack the pew. You know, you've been to some pack the pew nights probably. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. And so... Uh, he was asking all the people to come. Well, there was this lady whom he was staying with for the week, her and her husband. He had came to, uh, uh, to, to preach in the church, and they put him up in their house. And she was head of the uh, Women's Missionary Union in the church. And, and she comes to him, you know, and she says, Well, well listen, I'm not going to be there Thursday night because Thursday night we have our ladies' missions meeting. And in our missions meeting, we talk about missions and we pray for missions and we study about missions. So I'm not going to be here Thursday night. And he said, Well, I feel like maybe you need to um, come and be a part of this because it, this is a church wide thing. And we want to reach out in our community and show people how much we love them and how much Jesus loves them. And she says, well, you just don't understand the importance of missions. And he said, well, sister, you know about missions, but you're not concerned about people. And she said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I've been staying in your house now for a little over a week. And while I've been here, I've seen your maid come and go every day. And he said, one day while your maid was, was cleaning in the house, I asked her if she knew Jesus, if she had ever trusted in Christ as her personal Savior, and she said no. So I shared the gospel with her. And that day she trusted in Christ and believed on the Lord, and she got saved. She told me she's been here in your home for 15 years, and you've never told her about Jesus. Listen to me, folks. It's good to pray for missions. It's good to study about missions. Nothing wrong with any of that. It's good to talk about missions, good to give to missions, good to pray for missions. All of that's good. But if we ourselves don't get on the mission field, then the gospel's not going to be shared. If the gospel's not shared, if we don't give people that message, they can't believe. If they don't believe, they can't be saved. If they're not saved, they're on their way to hell. I'm not against any organization within the church that works toward helping missions, we want to do that. We're going to keep doing that. But folks, we need to get concerned for the man across the street. We need to get concerned for lost loved ones, for friends who we know have not yet trusted in Jesus. Concerned enough, really concerned. Concern that comes um, and, and is, and is um, uh, like Paul said, your conscience bears witness that it's true, that you are really concerned for that man woman boy or girl who needs Jesus that's what I want that's what we need that's what we gotta have if we're going to be an effective soul winner now listen to me if that concern is going to happen in my life and in your life it must come because we are in Christ and Christ is in us you said, Brother, why should I be concerned about the law? Because I want my church to grow? Well, that's a good reason, but it's not good enough. Brother, why should I be concerned about people who need to know Jesus? Because America is in shambles and it needs redemption? Well, that's a good reason, but it's not good enough. 
Brother Israel, why should I be concerned uh, about uh, uh, people coming to know Jesus? Because the statistics as far as how many people are being baptized are not where they used to be. And, and they're continually either plateauing or falling in most churches. Is that why I need to be concerned about leading people to Christ? Well, that's a good reason. But listen, it's not good enough. If we're really going to get concerned for the laws, it's got to be because Christ is ruling and reigning in our hearts and lives. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. And as he works on us, works in us, and loves through us, we have a real true concern for people who need to be born again. That's what he says. I say the truth in Christ. Verse 1. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So Paul had a concern which came from his conscience that it was true, that, that bore witness that it was true. It was not just, uh, he didn't lie about it, he was truly concerned for the, that, that people need Jesus. Look at verse number two though. Not only did he have a concern for the loss that came from his conscience, but also he had a compassionate concern for the loss. Listen how he puts it in the second verse. That I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Let me tell you what Paul said. My heart is broken and burdened for the lost. When's the last time you got broken and burdened for somebody to get saved? When's the last time you shed a tear because you wanted your lost friends and loved ones to know Jesus so that their life and eternity might be changed because that's what Paul's saying is, is going on with him he said I got this deep heaviness this burden on me and this continual sorrow because I know people need Jesus let's go back to the car just a minute let me tell you what happened to this car I can say I was so proud of it man excited about it I was taking my son this morning to football practice at the track. Pulled in, dropped him off, started to leave, turned too sharp, too quick, and backed into the car next to me. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. I almost cried. It really made me sick to my stomach. It burdened me. I thought, what in the world? I have been driving a Ford Focus with the hood ratchet strapped down for the last six or eight months and have not backed over anything. Wanting to total it out and could <laughs> Broke my heart. I wonder, I, I, but then I still think, When's the last time I got truly, I got a hold of this tonight, studying for this message. When's the last time I really got burdened, sorrowful 
about somebody who is going to die and bust tail wide open if they don't know Jesus. And these are people that are close to me. Cousins, aunts, uncles, friends, co-workers. People that I see every day. Paul said, I've got this heavy burden, this continual sorrow. Paul wept over lost souls, but he wasn't the only one. You know Jesus also wept over lost souls? Take your Bibles, let's go look at it. I want you to see it for yourself. It happened in Luke chapter 19. That's just one instance we see it in the Word of God, but there's many of them. Luke chapter number 19, look down at verse number 21. I want to start there. Jesus in Luke 19 is actually on his way into Jerusalem for his triumphant entry. You remember that. Uh, when he came into Jerusalem on the Sunday before, he would be crucified on that Friday. Now, watch what happens here in uh, Luke 19, verse number uh, 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. He's about to ride in and die for these people. And he, when he stops a little bit outside the city as he got close, and he began to weep looking at the city, he's about to go give his life for it. Listen to what he says. It's amazing. He says, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this day and this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side. You know, that's exactly what happened. As a matter of fact, Titus from Rome came in uh, A.D. 70, and completely destroyed Jerusalem. And he held the city siege for, I think, he besieged the city for, I think, about six months. And you know that they were actually eating their dead in Jerusalem because what Jesus prophesied actually took place. The Romans plowed salt into the ground so that they couldn't grow crops. I mean, completely and totally destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the people. Jesus said, that's going to come to you. But he says, why it's going to come to them? And they shall lay even within the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time, watch this, of my visitation. Destruction's coming to you. Death. It's coming to you, Jerusalem, because you didn't realize when I visited. Now, how does this apply to me and you? Do you realize the people that you come in contact with every day, what's in their future, if they don't realize who Jesus is, that he did visit, that he came and did for them what they couldn't do, if they don't get a hold of that truth, death and destruction is coming their way. Jesus wept for these lost souls. Then he went and done something about it. He went and made a way to heaven with a bridge called a cross. Now folks, listen to me. We too need to start weeping over lost souls and then we need to go do something about it. We need to get concerned for the lost. I, I told, I've told you many times, I'm going to keep telling you, I feel so sorry for people who don't know Jesus. Not just because 
they're going to they're going to die and go to hell. That's that's certainly a a huge reason, a a, a major reason. But I'm also feel sorry for people who don't know Jesus because they don't know what life is. They're just existing. They're just getting by. They're just trying to make it. No, oh, listen to me, folks. We as believers have known abundant life. Peace and joy and purpose. Life worth living in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want people to know this Jesus, don't you? I want to see him heal families and break addictions. And he will. But the truth is he wants to use us to do that in the lives of others. But we've got to have compassion. The, the Bible says in Psalm 126 and verse 6, Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. Now, I want you to write that down in your notes. Check it out for yourself in your Bible. Psalm 126, verse 6. This is so good. Watch what the Bible says. He that goeth forth and weepeth. When you're going forth, weeping with compassion, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That's good. Now, the Bible is telling us we are to go forth. When we go forth as believers, fulfilling our mission, which is preaching the message of the gospel, what we're doing is bearing precious seed. <laughs> Amen? We're like the sower who goes out to sow his field, and we're just scattering seed everywhere. We're giving everybody we can the gospel with our lips, yes, but also with our lives. I told our guys last night when we were meeting together, if we're going to be effective in what God has called us to do as men, as, as believers in general, if we're going to be effective, let me tell you what we got to do. We've got to live in such a way that when we start speaking about the truth of who Jesus is, people listen to us because they've seen the evidence of the power of God in our lives. And maybe, just maybe, they'll say, I want what he's got. I see that joy. I see that love. I see that peace. I see that power. I want what he's got. I want what she's got. Boy, then you get to sow that precious seed. The Bible says, they shall doubtless. You don't got to doubt it. You don't got to worry about it. You just sow the seed. Get compassion for the lost. He says, and they'll doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him, bringing in the harvest. Isn't this an awesome promise? Matthew 9, 36. Write that down. Go back and look at it this week. The Bible says that Jesus, at another time, looked over the city of Jerusalem and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd. Sheep that don't have a shepherd get into a whole lot of trouble, a whole lot of danger, a whole lot of destruction. I don't know about you, but you can turn on any TV you want to turn on and you're going to see some sheep without a shepherd 
I don't know about you, but you can go to any workplace you want to go to and you're going to see some sheep without a shepherd. You can go to any family you want to get in and you can find some sheep without a shepherd. Amen? It's time as God's people we have compassion. Paul had weeping eyes for the lost. Jesus had weeping eyes for the lost. Jeremiah is actually called the weeping prophet. Why? He was concerned for the people that were about to face destruction because they had turned from the Lord. The Apostle Paul had a concern for the lost which was backed up with his conscience. He had compassionate concern for the lost. We see that in verse number 2. But we also see, verse number 3, he had a continual concern for the lost. Watch. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, According to the flesh. You say, brother, what in the world does he mean? Accursed from Christ. L let me put this just about as plain as I know how to put it. Paul is actually saying here, if I could go to, he go to hell, if me going to hell would mean that all of my kinsmen, all of the Jewish people could go to heaven, then I'd go to hell. Think about that just a moment. Paul has so much of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in him and working through him that he says, if it meant me going to hell so that others could be saved, I'd go to hell. We're talking about eternal torment in, in the place where the flame is never quenched and the worm dieth not. A place of continual dying, being tormented in flames. That's what Jesus says about it. We're talking about the place that the, the rich man lifted up his eyes from in Luke 16 and begged that Lazarus could come dip his finger in water and just put a drop on his tongue. That man was in torment in the flame, the Bible said. Paul said, if it meant me going to that place, not just for a little while, but for eternity, so that my kinsmen can go to heaven, then I'd go to hell. You see that? It was a continual concern for people who needed Jesus. Paul is actually saying, if I could bear their sin, bear their shame, bear their separation, bear their sorrow, I would do that so that they could have life in Christ. That's how much compassion and concern he had. And that's just like pouring out a bucket of conviction on me. Because I'm not to that place yet, I'll just be honest. I've got some growing room. But I want to tell you something, folks. If our gospel is hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Write this verse down. 2 Corinthians 